Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, it's the end of the affair as Jeremy Clarkson leaves the BBC. Where will he go? As the UK general election campaign gets underway, Paxman says the broadcasters have been terrible negotiators. Is he right? Plus, there's a new editor of The Guardian, Indies air their grievances, and Facebook wants to host newsgroups' content. But at what cost? This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. And with me today at the Hospital Club is the radio consultant and creative director of Folder Media. It is Matt Deegan. Hello, Matt. Hello. Uh, At the time of recording, you are waiting to find out whether the uh, digital bid that you are part of has actually won the licence, but you don't yet know and your phone's on airplane mode. Uh, Absolutely. I'm keeping on my email. Uh, Yeah, we should know this is the second national commercial multiplex for for digital radio. It is either uh, the Listen to Digital bid, uh, which is a variety of stations from new entrants, or the old bunch of Normal media types, uh, Archiva, Bauer and UTV. He said something far less charitable off air. uh, Uh, Who put together a a solid bid as well. Okay, but if the bid comes through and you win whilst we're recording, all the beers are on you, that's clear. Yes, absolutely. Okay, good to hear. Also joining us for his media podcast debut, it is the broadcaster and DJ, Edward Adu. Hello, Ed. Good afternoon, how are you doing? You are good? I'm very well, thank you. You've worked for them all, you've had them all, five live, more four, now the media podcast. It's it's great to be here, you know, I've been... been just knocking on that door saying I need to be I want to be yeah. part of this podcast so it's a great moment I know the feeling I started here basically as work experience worked my way up <laughs> give us a flavour of your weekend what have you been up to I did a narration for a BBC Free Show that's on next week oh, yeah. and so I did an update for that and I met the actor Colin McFerlin in the studios and he's a really cool guy so I think that was the highlight of my week and uh, DJed in Bristol last weekend <laughs> trekked on a mega bus as you do <laughs> came back on the mega yeah, right, bus yeah alright I asked you for a highlight Sorry, you, you, you literally what have you, you been doing all week thinking, listen you know, I might as well give you the full, the full <laughs> lowdown everyone has been talking about the three middle aged white men on BBC2 what is going to happen to Top Gear well we have found out Jeremy Clarkson's contract will not be renewed. The BBC have confirmed that that is the case. After what internal investigator Ken Macquarie described as a 30-second physical assault on a Top Gear producer over the lack of hot food served at their hotel, that really did happen. The report says it's the case. The Director-General, Tony Hall, has decided that was the final straw. Ed, you just said you work at the BBC from time to time, don't we all? Yeah, no, did they have any other choice but to fire him? They didn't. And give you a quick story. Lenny Henry, in light of his BAFTA speech, I got in contact with Danny Cohen one Sunday morning and uh, I didn't expect uh, to get a reply from Danny and I did within 40 minutes and he connected me with loads of execs which has led to lots of opportunities. Danny Cohen gets it. 
it's about representing the audience and unfortunately I think Clarkson is one of those kind of old school beasts who thinks that you know he's very kind of 1984 BBC I have the power and it's going to be on my terms and I think he's with this aspect he's hit the line and Danny Cohen and, and Lord Hall rightly said especially Danny Cohen's uh, comments in the I think it was the Guardian or the Telegraph where he says you know no one's bigger than the football team and he's got every right to, to say that and I think the right decision has, has been made but actually you know when you talk about Clarkson being out of line with you know the way the BBC maybe presents itself we're in danger aren't we of conflating what he said in the past on air which is sometimes you know off colour and actually sometimes racist and what he's done this time and actually punched someone I mean they're two different things aren't punch they? someone and acting in that manner in a sense if you work for the BBC BBC, I believe that you are a public servant. I think he was given too much power in terms of ratings, in terms of the enterprise, with the with the actual brand. It got to his head. If you've got problems going on at home, you're going through a divorce, or if anything's happening, you don't take it out with with your producer. And if that happened to anyone else in in, in the workplace, if someone working at Tesco's or a bus driver or two driver, whatever, they'd be dismissed straight away. And the unions wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a Bob Crow's an announcement saying we're going on strike because the unions would know that they don't have, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. So they would have to go. I think for me, what was fascinating reading the short summary of the re- investigation was that the the producer who got his lip split uh, by Jeremy Clarkson drove himself to A&E to be seen and number one you think everyone else heard that what kind of pull would someone like Jeremy Clarkson have that the person who is assaulted is not driven by someone else who works on that show mm. but drives himself to do it and also, it takes Clarkson himself to report himself well this is it this is the other thing is that that producer seemingly did not report it and just got on with it because my assumption would be reading that you know if you work on a big production like that that the talent are important and you know you're part of your job though unfairly uh, is there to take it how sad that that that's the case indeed and ed as a presenter you know well like me i guess you've been in situations obviously on a much smaller scale than top gear as you say matt it's a massively popular show but you've been in situations where you've been on a shoot all day and giles corran was articulating this excellently on the media show last week everyone else on the set is eating and drinking you're waiting all day thinking i'm going to have my hot meal at the end of the day you are treated nicely by everyone runners are bringing you tea and coffee and all the rest of it does the media create these monsters I think they do and I think we're in the age now where I think those monsters are dying and I think Clarkson's one of those he he end up somewhere else but I think in terms of the BBC it's about respect it's about morals at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you're a big broadcaster or, or, or personality or whatever at the end of the day it's about respect if you're given that amount of power and if, if, if you disrespect people in, in, in that kind of aspect, then it's worrying to think what else you know could happen. You know, some of the people who've been arrested over the past year for uh, terrible things that, that they've done, illegal things that they've done, you know, a lot of that comes from people who are never told no mm. or always get away with it or it's hidden because there's a perception that it's more important uh, that, that, that they carry on doing their thing and that's that ends up being positive reinforcement if you sleaze over a colleague or sexually harass someone or, or, or do even worse but even though you know your bosses know they're not telling you off for it well that's you then keep repeating it and we we've, we've seen it the stuff in the papers particularly on sexual allegations but this is a version of that isn't it you've got away with it if you've got away with it forever you don't even consider it a problem when clearly looking at this it's totally unacceptable 
And therefore, if Netflix, as is reported, or possibly ITV, swoop in and sign up not just Clarkson, but possibly also Hammond and May, and steal what is essentially the format away from the BBC, even though they'll still have the rights to the title, are those immoral companies? You know, if someone's done a bad thing and then they're punished, is it immoral to sweep in and say, well, here's more money? I'm sure we'll have an apology from Clarkson to the producer, a public one, and a very, you know, appearing on a sofa somewhere. Actually, if he's sensible, he'll say the BBC was right to sack me. I've, I've acted on... Yeah, is, is go, for, go for the forgiveness and then re-emerge um, as a £100 million Netflix uh, series. If I was Netflix, I would be looking at that as a property going, yeah, we'd like that one, thanks. That, that, this translates to our new business model. And finally, we can get over the small hump. Uh, they'll do it. But then, you know, should your whole career be over because of one mistake, which actually at the moment hasn't gone to the police, you know, he hasn't been charged for, it's just something that he handed himself over and said I made a mistake. Yeah, I think he's going to have to do a whole mere culpa. Yeah, which we'll all look forward to watching, let's be honest. (laughs) Right, Uh, this week also marks the beginning of the oft-discussed TV debates. They are happening, by the time you hear this, they may have already started, as Channel 4 and Sky News are showing the first TV debate on Thursday. Matt Paxo is in the chair, another Jeremy. Uh, He said in the build-up that the broadcasters overplayed their hand, sort of buggered up the whole negotiation, really, uh, with the TV debates. Is he right? I I imagine that the TV producers thought they would get further than they did and probably felt they had the public on their side and could railroad it, which isn't a terrible strategy, actually, to, to get it to happen. I think what they didn't expect was the advice that David Cameron's had about how terrible or the options it brings up would be terrible for him and even though Cameron looks awful not doing these debates it is still better than standing next to Ed Miliband and lending him more credibility yeah Yeah. Yeah. I mean from that point of view do you think the public will engage with the debates on their own terms or do you think a lot of the public are going to be watching it thinking oh Cameron's a chicken he's not standing up to Miliband this isn't the debate we wanted to see no I think the public want to see uh, a full debate and they want to see Cameron they want to see Miliband they want to see everyone present having a public platform is the perfect way to get out there and to kind of tell people what you want to put in place except that's essential except what Paxman was saying was you know the broadcasters are behaving as this is an absolutely integral part of British politics and indeed Ed Miliband now says he's going to legislate for it doesn't he but actually we've only had TV debates since 2010 it was legitimate for the Prime Minister to say I don't want to do it if you you go back to the 60s when there was first American TV debates they had them and then they went away for a few years for a few election cycles and and then they came back Uh, in America they have a debates committee that actually does the organising and that's probably a much better way of doing it whether that's an electoral reform society-esque uh, operator who who creates that and uh, I think already it's complex with TV companies trying to work together to outsmart the other broadcasters they're playing against each other themselves suddenly YouTube and the Telegraph pop up going oh no we're the new face of debating I mean part of me if I was a politician I'd be thinking all I'm going to do is be in TV studios next to these same people so maybe putting an independent group together to, to choose some sort of thing I think from a public policy perspective talking about politics mm. to turn down the opportunity to explain your your manifestos to the public in a not a stage managed environment it's kind of terrible they've not they've chosen not to do that they'd rather sit on the sofa or have Paxman one on one doing it and yet in a way the real 
uh, kind of decision swaying stuff might not happen on telly at all but might be on social media anyway I think people will explode on social media I mean we will see more tired after wandering down streets all day knocking on doors and doing having, a thornbury in other and, yeah having yeah. the public shouting at them uh, and then suddenly tweeting the wrong things I don't think there will be anybody at UKIP left by the end of the campaign if I think social media has its way sure we'll see more tweets or some, along the lines of saying get your flags down and they'll oh, I'm sorry I didn't mean that <laughs> Right, well, just before we head to the break, Wednesday also saw the reveal of Broadcast Magazine's annual indie survey results, where independent companies air their dirty linen and speak openly about broadcasters and the state of the industry. Uh, Jake Cantor, friend of the pod from Broadcast, is here to fill us in. So here's three things you need to know about uh, Broadcast's indie survey. One of the key trends we've seen this year is actually growth in the UK production sector slowing slightly. UK production companies posted revenues of about £2.3 billion uh, last year, which was about 9% growth on uh, 2013, uh, which is not as fast a rate of growth as has been in previous years. Now, we think that's for a couple of reasons. We think that uh, opportunities for commissions in the UK are slowing down somewhat, and there are fewer uh, places to go and get shows away. Broadcasters are being more selective about what they commission. The other thing is that some of the big production companies at the top end of the market may have slightly taken their eye off the ball a little bit last year. So you have All3 Media, which was bought by Discovery and Liberty Global. That was a big deal. Perhaps there was less focus on creativity. You also had the coming together of Endemol, Shine and Core Media, which was a huge seismic deal, which we haven't really seen what kind of impact that will have. But inevitably those businesses would have had one eye on that consolidation and perhaps not on creativity. Second of all, we have the first real production sector verdict on the BBC's plans to commercialise its in-house production division. The, the industry is sort of broadly split down the middle. Uh, about 98 big production companies, independent producers making big shows, answered this question and about 56% of them said they were supportive, 15% said they were indifferent and the rest were not massively happy about the idea of this. Finally, uh, we've done a bit of research examining how the India survey shapes up this year compared to five years ago. And one of the key things we've seen is the growth of uh, US ownership. Uh, so if you look at the market in 2011, American companies accounted for about 5% of revenue in the UK production sector. They now account for 44% which is the largest of of any country, including the UK. Uh, Of course, uh, instead of hearing me gabbling on, you can pick up your copy of Broadcast and uh, read all about the Indie Survey in this week's issue. That was Jake Cantor. We'll have more stories after this. This episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one hosting and website creator that gives you all you need to showcase your content. Squarespace uses your own browser window to build your website, no downloads required, and provides templates to suit all styles and tones. They also have e-commerce solutions, which I believe means that you can sell things through your site, and 24-hour support from offices in the US and UK. For a free two-week trial with no credit card required, go to squarespace.com now. And if you like what you get and want 10% off a subscription, just use the offer code MEDIAPOD at the checkout.
Now, I don't know about you, but my Sunday afternoons as a child were going to visit my Jewish grandmother in Hendon, her making me a load of bridge rolls with salmon and cream cheese, me eating far too many of them, then getting into a Land Rover driven by my dad, in which we listened to the Radio 1 chart show, presented by Mark Goodier. Uh, and sometimes I was literally physically sick because of the combination of thumping beats and bridge rolls. Well, Radio 1 have just pissed all over my childhood. Matt, why is this happening? They're moving the top 40 away from Sunday. So the uh, record companies internationally have decided that the release dates uh, for new music will be Fridays globally, which suddenly having a chart on a Sunday means that you're not having a week or you've got a week and a half and it's all got very confusing. So Radio 1 um, are going to move their chart from Sundays 4 to 7 uh, to be part of Greg James's show uh, on a Friday. Uh, what's, what's kind of interesting, I think there's a few different interesting bits about this. One, is the chart relevant? Well, 1.3 million people listen to it on Radio 1 each week and 2.3 million people listen to the Big Top 40, which is the, the commercial competitor. So you know, nearly 4 million people have decided that on a Sunday after Afternoon, bridge rolls or not, they would like to listen. <laughs> I'd recommend uh, the combination. Like to, like to listen to it. Um, <laughs> Got to be with Goodyear. I think. Though. I think it is. It is in a changing world. It's difficult to justify the chart. Uh, but I was reading a great blog by Adam Bowie, actually, who who is a, a BBC strategist. And on his private blog, he was saying, "Why don't we actually replicate what movie studios do and kind of have an opening weekend for a song? So if it comes out on a Friday. Mm. Let's keep the chart on a Sunday, but let's sort of reflect its most buzzy time." And I thought actually that's a, that's a quite a modern neat idea uh, rather than waiting but charts do we need them if there is always a chart on itunes that is saying what the most popular song is right now well so the answer is no we probably don't need them but people like the chart show the question is will they like it on a friday do you think ed because it is part of the routine i know it's mostly kids listening and they haven't built up necessarily that familiarity listening every sunday and their habits can be changed but the fact that it's continuously been on air for so many decades on a Sunday, moving it to a Friday, do you want to hear a chart then? I think Ben Cooper's done a good and a wise thing, especially as Radio 1 are trying to target more of a younger demographic. So I think in terms of trying to get that CBBC audience and to maintain or retain the current Radio 1 audience, Friday at 4 o'clock is perfect. Drive time, people on their way home, it's after the school run. But in terms of the competition with the commercials, uh, this is where Radio 1 may have a problem. It's like what are they going to actually put in place in order to target, as Matt rightly said, about the 2.3 million? What can they do? I believe, I think I I read something that um, they're going to do something along the lines of a CBBC-style content. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Between four and seven. But, I mean, it's, is the chart relevant? It is. I mean, look at streaming, Kendrick Lamar, you know, number one album. It got a lot of hype. A lot of people were like, mm, I'm not sure about Kendrick Lamar. The, 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 kind of, the, the real hip-hop heads got into it. The one, the bubblegum hip-hop heads were like, oh no, this is very political, but it still got streamed and he got a number one album. So trends are changing. It's more accessible. And I think it's a good thing. And one of the trends that has changed, though, is that there is a broader palette of people buying singles, I guess, because, you know, streaming is built into it. As you say, things that were considered niche in the past, like hip hop or whatever it is, are now considered mainstream if enough people listen to it or download it in a week. With that in mind, Matt, is it a good idea to be simulcasting a CBBC show? Doesn't that sort of say the charts are for kids? Yeah, well, I think they probably always have been to a certain extent in different forms. You know, backing your favourite artist, you know, fandoms. It's usually popular with kind of teen acts and those sorts of things. Uh, The people who want their act to do better than someone else is probably... Uh, the younger end a measurement of music success I think is nice to have but does it need to be a, a radio show so talking to someone who's in more in the target demo and they were saying well, if you listen to the, the top 40 you know, 20 to 40 are old songs mm. that you know stick around quite a long time mm. John so, Legend forever uh, yeah so the, the, <laughs> the, 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 top, the top 20 uh, is, is a bit more relevant as well which the new Radio 1 Friday was going to concentrate on the first chart on Radio 1 I think was on a Tuesday so it's moving to Sunday was I think in the 80s uh, so it's not um, something that's been around forever though the one thing I, I would say is it's the one show everyone knows what time it's on probably mm. on the radio mm. so whether that's commercial or BBC like you know at four o'clock uh, it's the chart and that before seven uh, there is the number one mm. and it's so I the radio program me says it's a bit of a shame to abandon the last kind of appointment to listen and what about Top of the Pops? Because as a brand, people have been saying for years, and I know it was tainted by Savile and all the rest to an extent, but again, it was part of everyone's sort of growing up and childhood. People miss Top of the Pops. Is this a missed opportunity bringing a new show about music rather than Top of the Pops back to BBC One? I think so. Or is that just me being nostalgic again? It's definitely being nostalgic. I think you know, CBBC has more re- more relevance, not only for, for its audience who watch it, but people from the, the 10 years above who kind of understand you know, what it is. Um, Top of the Pops was great when the only way to watch music on television was between seven and a half past on a Thursday or Friday. Uh, not the way anymore, you know, music TV channels, if you want music, it is on all the time. Uh, you know, we don't, need to see, we don't need to see that in that one place. But Ed, it was different though, wasn't it, Top of the Pops, the live performance? You know, the sense of seeing what the stars look like. I know what Matt's saying, of course you can watch the music videos, but it's different somehow watching them dress up for their Top of the Pops thing. And you see the way people react to the MTV Awards and the Brits. People do still like that, the X Factor. Is there a place for a mainstream pop show still? Because what we've got is Jules Holland and The Culture Show and Jonathan Ross, you know, little places where people play music. Andrew Marr, for goodness sake. Why can't we have a pop show? (laughs) Sunday brunch. Sunday brunch. They're little clips. We've got so many music channels out there. And I think in terms of having that one platform that showcases loads of music, it'd be great for it to, to, to come back. And I think you're right. I think the whole kind of panache with Top of the Pops has seen people doing crazy stuff, you know, growing up 
um, when I was about six or seven watching Farley Jackmaster Funk when he did Love Won't Turn Around. I remember saying to my mum, mum, is that dude, is that guy's hair real? I mean, he had the craziest jerry curl and I thought his hair was about to explode. But it's moments like that which will stick, you know, at the back of my mind that that was what I saw on Top of the Pops. So it'd be great for a show like Top of the Pops to be on weekly whether it be the Beeb or on a, on a commercial platform. And, um, yeah, we can take the mick out of the artist and say, look, they've got crazy Jericho's. <laughs> We've sort of got it. It's called the X Factor Sunday Show. You know, yeah. that has two or three artists. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's, it's definitely it's, yeah, Sunday. Uh, and you still and you get the, you get performances. It's you not do. just whatever. X Factor Sunday. I mean, the, the, the big promotion, the big build on that, it's incredible. I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't watch it. Even the cynics the X Factor cynics they're like okay I'm going to watch it for 10 minutes and then you see the Twitter feeds like, I don't watch this program in actual fact you but what do is because you've just, yeah, yeah, exactly. just tweeted about it uh, okay well moving on from what I think is the only ever reference to Farley Jackmaster Funk we've ever had on the media <laughs> podcast although Maggie Brown may have mentioned it once in, uh, in incident uh, let's talk about The Sun four of their journalists cleared on Friday of paying public officials which is rare good news uh, for the tabloid chief reporter John Kay royal editor Duncan Larkham Executive Editor Fergus Shanahan and the Deputy Editor Jeff Webster all found not guilty. Uh, Matt, lots of discussion in the press this week about whether Operation Elverdon, uh, which is the Met Police's dedicated investigation into the press paying officials, has actually just been a complete waste of time and resources. Uh, it would seem that from, uh, from looking at the results of a lot of the cases. There's a bit about from the CPS, should they be taking all these cases to court uh, if they don't seem to be able to, to win any of them. But also, as Roy Greenslade pointed out in his Guardian piece about this, uh, ignorance of something being a crime isn't an excuse, obviously, but genuinely, it's not like with phone hacking where everyone knew they were probably doing something they shouldn't. Uh, In the case of this, you know, people didn't even realise it was a crime to offer a public official some money. I I mean, is that something that actually needs to be trained into journalists from the earlier stage? Absolutely. I mean, it came out in a select committee, didn't it, when Rebecca Brooks inadvertently said that she paid police officers before she was nudged and had clearly just never considered that that was a a problem before. I think it's down to training. Again, it's that whole rule book of um, the in-house kind of procedural if you're going to get a story you need to do it the right way and you need to be told how to do it but again I don't think there was anyone guiding those journalists or or telling them listen this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do I I think it's interesting that if you think about journalists being shouted at by their backbench they're aware of these stories all that kind of stuff um and that they know that in those organisations that uh, other journalists have hacked phones or, or, or paid people off, and you know that your bosses seem to turn a blind eye to that, you know, to get your boss off the back, do you start doing some of these things? Well, if you're reading the press these days, chances are you are actually reading it on social media or at least clicking through from social media to their website. And, and now we know that Facebook are looking to host news content for partner media companies. They're actually going to team up with the New York Times and National Geographic uh, initially, a few other uh, illustrious titles as well. Why? There's a couple of ways of looking at it. You can kind of go, a lot of those one-click links to, to websites don't actually provide that much value to a publisher. Uh, if they don't stick around, they don't look at any other articles, okay, there are some ad views there at the same time, but the sort of the income you get from that casual reader, not that valuable. The Times the sun you know now paywalls the material anyway they're not even bothered getting that sort of data mm. so if the traffic isn't worth that much keeping it on facebook site makes it super fast for people to get into it they're in your brand environment um potentially you'll rev share some of the money maybe facebook can sell it a better cpm than you maybe that is the the right decision but kind of as a website owner 
do I want to become like this is like AOL circa 1995 where you know you have to visit the times or whatever keyword times in the in the in Facebook to, to read all the material I think it's, it's a dangerous it's potentially a dangerous gamble though I think if you can if you can cleverly monetize it you know, if you're running video content and you're getting again higher CPMs on Facebook video pre-roll well actually you do want to keep people in that environment if you can make more money or get a better relationship with with users do something else there's a bit in the paper about um all the tracking that websites do with users that you obviously would lose out all the benefits of of the cookies and all that kind of stuff you know most big websites are so bad at coping with all the massive amounts of data they collect about their users Mm. in the real world it'll make bugger all difference to to their to their businesses but but you're right in terms of time and expense though you know i know that there may be profit coming as a result but if you're a small organization and we made this point last episode when we were talking about snapchat okay you're already tailoring content to facebook but this is yet another way where you're going to have to tailor your content and it it can lead i guess to a lack of focus there also facebook can change the algorithm so you can work really really hard to to create stories which appear in news feeds or a better accessed or whatever the new metric is and then their mind changes and they someone games the system normally so they then alter the metric and all that hard work you've put into getting your stuff into the system kind of changes a lot of it actually comes back to you know the, the true value of media company is creating the right content and getting people to it uh, and kind of clickbait articles is great short term but it's no it's not good for building uh, any kind of business. Uh, right, to the US now. James Corden making his debut this week as the new host of The Late Late Show on CBS. It was received pretty well, although he had some help some, from some pretty top-notch guests there, Tom Hanks and Mila Kunis, on the first show. Uh, how do you think he did? Have you seen any of the show? Yeah, I thought he did well. And, you know, I think in terms of his appearance, we've all got this thing about people looking skinny and James is not... He's just kind of this rounded type sort of beer belly type geezer and he gets away with it and I think he's opened the door and I think he's saying to not just to the Brits but to the Americans that listen it's not about appearance you don't have to be this kind of bronze golden tanned six pack type person but if you've got the charisma and the personality you can cut it and I think he's going to do well I think there's an interesting question about what his thing is. You need a thing, of course, if you're doing well. He's either sarcastic one, either nice one, either whatever. And actually, watching the first couple of shows, he comes over as very real and humble. Mm. And that's and I don't. I think a little bit of not put on, but I think they are emphasising that. It is a little bit put on. He's an actor, isn't he? I think it's reasonable to say it's a little bit put on. We know he can be obnoxious as well. But I think they've chosen to make that his distinctive quality. Yeah. Uh, And uh, it does kind of cut through. Like looking at some of the social responses, especially from Americans have no idea who he is surprisingly well received for a new thing which are always just kind of slagged off good or bad um, they had some some good sketches on the first one um, the one so I saw last night which was the second episode he did quite a funny thing delivering pizzas to real Americans and doing like silly things in their in their houses I mean the bit that I, I watch it for where they've sort of borrowed other people's uh, format types obviously you've got a bit of Graham Norton mm. um, you've got a bit of don't forget your toothbrush there's a bit of TFI Friday yeah a bit of Ross, a bit of yeah. TFI Friday and, and they're trying to bring those things to a very staid um, format in America where you've got two talk shows a night across also most of the channels. hosted by men called James. Yeah, uh, <laughs> on most of the channels yeah. um, doing the same stuff. And I think they're, they're trying to do something a little bit different. Okay, two nights in, who knows where it will go. Uh, he's a bit uncomfortable on the old interviews, but I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll get there. I think if he comes across with that kind of Jonathan Ross flavour, 
I, I, I certainly think you know it's it's, it's going to be good times for him. And I think you know what you're saying, Matt, about him being real and being humble. If he, if he can relate to the Americans in that manner, then certainly it's it's a winner. He's definitely it's going to be gold all the way for him. It is bizarre though how many. British presenters go over to the States. I know Piers Morgan didn't last too long, but, you know, you've, the Glenn likes Robinson, of... Yeah. Um, uh, Cat Dealey? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's... We don't have nearly as many Americans on our screen. Well, we, should, we, we in, shouldn't, wouldn't allow it, would we? No. To, to do any of our... Like, not present shiny floor shows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even like Huey Green of, of the past, obviously American... He's Canadian, people. I think, okay. actually, Huey Green. Yeah. Uh, but American. still, the accent um, is there, yeah. Uh, and probably the last major one that, yeah. that kind of that, that really cut through. Uh, they're much more welcoming than we are. I'm always shocked how few people watch all these programmes. So I, I was looking at the Consolidated Overnights, and he was doing... He's done one point, he did 1.3 million, which, you know, from half past midnight to half past one in the boardings, probably actually not too bad. But, like, some BBC Three shows are probably doing better than that in the UK. With probably significantly less budget than he's got. Yeah, I don't know what your concern about overnights is, Matt. I think you'll find that is peak time. <laughs> uh, right, there is uh, just time finally for the media quiz. This week it is entitled Elevator Pitch. Silence. I will sell you a news story in the style of a Hollywood movie synopsis, and from that you will have to work out what happened this week which closely resembles the pitch. Buzz in with your name. The winner gets a second kitchen. Can I make a sound effect <laughs> like, Edward... It's your first appearance on the show. You're not here to innovate, okay? <laughs> Just Ed. Uh, right, here's my elevator pitch number one. It's like the thick of it in space. It's like the thick of it in space. What's the news story this week that resembles that elevator pitch? Oh, um, um, say I'm Ed. Ed. <laughs> Arnaldo, is it Arnaldo Inucci? You're close, yes. Close. Amanda Inucci, Amanda, yes. yes. Yes, what's and, the story? Oh, shh. It's a bit like doing a quiz when drunk. <laughs> Matt, it? come on, you can step uh, in here. You can see uh, this uh, point. Uh, Amanda um, it makes Veep. Yes. Uh, and uh, he's... What's in space? He, he want, uh, Who is in space? Doctor Who is in oh, space, yes, he for said, goodness sake. He said that he would like to... Say be, your name. He's get Matt. Right. <laughs> Amanda oh. Minucci's going to write an episode of uh, Doctor Who. He said he'd like to write an episode of Doctor Who. That was piss poor from both of you. Getting so half rubbish. a point each. I'm half so a point rubbish. each on that. Right, elevator pitch number two. Okay. Father of three, Peter, and his family are threatened with eviction. Oh, you're coming in early, but all right, let me finish the the question. Father of three, Peter, and his family are threatened with eviction and end up living with Keith Lemon and H from Steps. Uh, ITV2 have signed up Family Guy. (gasps) Got to be, got to get out early to get me on... on comedy quiz based questions <laughs> uh, this is after sensationally revealing they were after um, Family Guy by decorating a door in the ITV centre that someone took a photo of on Twitter yeah which uh, you wonder whether that was almost deliberate because it was so stupid well, they, they, they apparently decorate doors uh, when they are pitching for things oh, so it's a way so, of saying to the execs who are coming in yes. hey we like you yes the next yeah. time I'm there I'm doing a voiceover and I'm going to do some snooping well, maybe they'll have you on the door, like, welcome <laughs> to the ITV Centre. Yeah. If you go, ever go into ITV and there's a big picture of you on their elevator, that's a good <laughs> no, sign, as if you didn't know. Not me. Right, so one and a half points to Matt, uh, half a point to Ed. Here's elevator pitch number three. The rags to riches story of a woman in a man's world, a state school kid with dreams of global domination, the underdog in a race she eventually wins after finding herself in Australia. Matt. Matt. Is this, um, this Salma Hayek? No. No. Who's recently been to Australia who's a woman in a man's world? Someone who's recently been appointed to a job. 
If neither of you know, then Matt wins the quiz. And this is, I think, the worst edition of the Media Podcast quiz we've ever had. Okay. Australian, it's just, it's, Australian. I'm going to give it to Matt because, I seriously, my... My That's very generous so, of you in your ignorance. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is where it's all gone wrong now. Uh, Ed has flopped. Matt, congratulations. You've won the quiz this, this I, episode. I, I feel I should almost return the prize for, for poor quality quizmanship. Absolutely terrible. So the answer, to put you both out of your misery, yeah. is that Catherine Viner has become the Guardian's oh, new yes. editor-in-chief. Yes, yes, yes we Having that. served at Guardian Australia. Yes. Uh, and much made in the press about the fact that she did go to a state school and she is a woman, which shouldn't really be a big deal, but it is on I feel, Fleet Street. I feel that the quiz has transitioned from being more like the this morning quiz into being only connect (laughs) (laughs) i like that yeah Yeah. i'm more used to the is it a a banana be the prime minister or see an apple those sorts of questions well if this morning we're interested in going in a new direction i might i might pitch that to them only connect style quiz see if my face gets on the list or yeah or you see they crack the door and you're there (laughs) uh right well thank you very much anyway uh despite your efforts towards the end thank you ed thank you matt uh remember you can hear new episodes as soon as they're ready by subscribing to us at themediapodcast.com we are also on twitter at themediapodcast or you can like our page on facebook today's show is dedicated to alan hill who describes himself as that british bloke in deepest new jersey uh, and to gary bembridge travel author writer video maker and podcaster at tipsfortravelers.com i've been ollie mann the producer matt hill until next time bye-bye